We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys can follow me on the tweet machine at M I K E D U G A R. As you know, I'm verified on there. Shout out to Elon Musk. Appreciate that. Um, also, subscribe on YouTube. Seahawks Man, the number two man on YouTube. We appreciate all love and support on there. Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C K I D D 206. And that's the kid 206. All right, we're coming to you in the middle of free agency. Um, but either way, with the free agent moves that is going to happen, uh, we already know about the Draymond Jones signing, which is a great signing, helps the front seven. Um, but uh, the front seven has been gutted lately on the Seahawks. You got Quentin, Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris just got released. Um, the Kobe, uh, excuse me, Cody Barton, he's off to DC. Puna, as of as of recording, is a free agent. Uh, see if that changes while we're recording. Uh, guys like LJ Collier, free agents. Miles Adams is a exclusive rights free agent. Basically, can come back on a minimum deal. We got Brian Monet tore his ACL in December. Short version: They need some guys up front. So Chris and I called up a guest to talk about these guys that they can acquire specifically in the draft, as the Seahawks have a gazillion picks. So joining us on the pod this week, Deontay Lee from The Athletic. My guy. How you guys doing? Glad to be on. Can't complain, man. <laughs> we are doing good. Uh, happy to have you. Returning to the show uh, yes. for the second time. Gave us some great insights uh, last year about the about the DBs uh, that the Seahawks could potentially look at. Um, and what do you know? They, they hit. On, yeah. on Tariq, and maybe have hit on, on Kobe Bryant as well. Right. But Nickel, we'll, we'll see. But this year, uh, let's focus on the front seven. Um, I know you know ball across the uh, – on every position, but I, I like talking ball with you about defense specifically. And I didn't mm-hmm. know until – I think we talked to the combine that you played linebacker at Sac State. I don't think I knew I that. I was, yep. I was a linebacker there. Uh, my my position coach is now the head coach at Boise State, Andy Avalos. That was a guy who recruited me, so – I like to say I learned from somebody who really knew it. Um, and then my high school coach, his name was Ray Wells. He played for the Titans for a few years. So, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time hearing a lot about what a linebacker is and isn't supposed to be. 
which is probably why I end up being harsher on a lot of these guys that I probably need to. No, that's that's all right because linebacker is is not a position that let a, fans obviously I don't think fans know the intricacies of half these damn positions, which is fine. So I don't think yeah. naturally the broadcast on TV set them up to learn much. It, right. it, it tells them what what's happening, but not why it's happening. But then the media, we don't really, you know, people who haven't played, well, we know that much shit. So it's good to have people in the media who do who do know. I told you that and Nate Tice that um, in the at the combine, I was like, you guys right. know ball, so uh, I appreciate you. So and the Seahawks need linebackers, so this is perfect. This is a perfect setup. Um, so I want to before we get into some of these guys they could target in the draft, um, I want to flash back a little bit to a piece you wrote last offseason. Um, it's really great. Let me see the headline on this. It's how Pete Carroll Seahawks defense is trying to catch up with the modern NFL. Um, and it details the shift in philosophy from what was the bread and butter during the LOB days to kind of the Vic Fangio inspired scheme that they were going all in on last season, um, right. which which did not work. Um, they just stunk <laughs> uh, last year in a lot of a lot of areas. So mm -hmm. considering what you wrote um, versus what ended up happening. Uh, on the field, what would you say was Seattle's biggest issue on defense with their scheme change? Um, I think part of it was the obvious walking in, right? Like when I think about the best versions of the style of three, four that they were trying to run, which is very zone coverage dependent, you know, you, you might do a lot more on the back end than you would in other schemes, but it all does require um, you getting pass rush up front, especially along the edge and going into the season, it was clear that that was going to be a position of weakness for Seattle's defense. So I always start there. You know, you think about how how often quarterbacks are just kind of comfortable in the pocket. You think about some of the worst defensive performances that they had throughout the year. A lot of that comes from not being able to affect quarterbacks. Um, and, and then you think about the defensive interior as well. It's hard to build a proper 3-4 defense in the NFL, strictly for rostering um, issues. Uh, when we were in Indianapolis, one of my good friends, uh, Justice Mosqueda, who covers uh, the Packers uh, for SB Nation, I was talking to him about that, you know, because uh, Joe Barry is also a guy off of this 3-4 tree that Seattle has kind of been dabbling with. And one of the things that he mentioned that Green Bay struggles struggled with all last year is the fact that you just can't roster – so many linemen to be able to run all of the personnel versatility versatility stuff that you would like to you know employ a three four four so you know you have to have top end talent and you have to have a bunch of depth i think to get the most out of the scheme and obviously the front four front five guys um within this defense was going to be a major question mark and i think that that's what kind of bore out over the course of the years that there wasn't enough on the interior to really stop the run at the first level and then when teams were dropping back and passing there really wasn't enough being done to affect the quarterback. So that way that zone coverage philosophy really could um, be maximized the way that it needed to be. And that kind of matches the assessment that Pete had the day after the Niners lost in the playoffs. He kind of stepped back and was able to watch and was like, all right, we need to get more dynamic uh, up front, which when, right. you, when I went back and was typing that up, I was like, okay, what exactly does that mean? You know, I didn't follow up in the moment, but I was like, oh, right. shit, I should have. Because if you think about that, it's really vague. But I'll kind of toss that to you. You mentioned that it's hard to just find guys um, who can do all the things that need to be done up front. Specifically, what what all like positional versatility do these D linemen need to have to make this thing really work? So if you think just three, four, like base personnel, what you need is a dominant nose. Well, what you would like to have is a dominant nose. There really aren't that many dominant noses. So I think usually what it comes down to is you just want a nose that can win at least half the time. You can usually kind of pick that up off the scrap heap. 
in the NFL. That's really not the pressure point in my mind. The pressure point in terms of three, four fronts are the four eyes, the defensive tackles, the guys who you are really asking to take on those double teams. From a size perspective, you want guys that are like Sean Robinson's. When you think about um, the Rams two seasons ago when they won the Super Bowl, when they were having trouble stopping the run, you would bring in uh, Greg Gaines and Sean Robinson, and now all of a sudden teams can't run the ball on you because you got Aaron Donald in there as well and you're playing those odd fronts. You need guys like that, I think, to really be able to stop the run the way that um, the 3-4 kind of calls for and what you want to do up front in terms of playing those split safety shells and having guys play a gap and a half or just eating double teams in general so that way your linebackers can stay clean. Seattle didn't have that. That's something that, you know, again, to kind of harp on that point, going into the season, it was evident that those guys were not there. Having guys that are heavier than 315 pounds does not necessarily mean that there are four eyes in a 3-4, right? And then from there, these are these are guys that you want to get some kind of value in terms of pushing the pocket, you know, guys that can, you know, crush a pocket. You think about Bill Belichick and his version of the 3-4. His defensive tackles are not the most dynamic in terms of, quickness and three cones and short shuttles but what they are are technicians and guys that are really determined and have high motors and are able to affect the pocket that way right being able to squeeze the air out from quarterback so they were missing those factors and then when you don't have that what what i'm really saying is that that puts that much more pressure on the edges and they did not have that either so i think that by being more dynamic i think that what he's saying is they need to be bigger faster and stronger um flat out up front. That's kind of what it comes down to. So I, I think that there are a few big body guys that kind of fit the billing in this draft. So I really wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of looking at this as a golden opportunity to get young guys that can kind of fit exactly what it is that they were missing last season. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because Mike and I have shared what we thought is the biggest issue defensively in a position group. So I'm curious to hear what side, what part of the defense what position group do you think needs the most immediate attention to get back to this Legion of Boom type defense where they have an elite pass rush, solid linebackers, and, of course, the corners doing what they do best? It's edge rush. It's, it's got to be edge rush. Like, I mean, that's just the premium in the NFL period, right? Like, you know, where people fall on the pass rush versus coverage debate is just where they fall on it. The truth of the matter is that they're interlinked at the end of the day. You can have guys that get off the ball great and can bend on the edge, but if you can't cover guys, it's not going to matter. And the same thing, you know, I, I watched, you know, as an Eagles fan, I watched this team play very intricate zone coverages, you know, and when you played up against good offenses that could actually hold up in terms of the protection, getting all this depth in your zones really doesn't do anything to affect the quarterback if you're not actually getting home. Right. So those things are interlinked. And I think that in hitting, you know, with uh, Tariq Woolen um, in last year's draft class, you can kind of chalk that up as a victory and say finding a number two corner isn't necessarily the hardest thing to do. Right. You know, back to the Philadelphia example, they were kind of able to fall backwards into James Bradbury because the Giants were looking to do some things with the cap. But you can find a guy who can perform at that level. Right. Who can be, you know, a solid um, second tier, third tier type of player that you can play zone coverage with and you're not asking him to lock guys up man to man um, and things of that nature. You can find that guy. It's finding the top flight edge rusher. That's really the issue because the best guys, the, the guys that are under 30 and most productive, they don't just come available. 
right? So it's hard to get those guys if you don't draft them. Um, same, you know, it's the same deal with quarterbacks, and that's why they get paid the way that they get paid. So I say that priority number one in terms of improving personnel here has to be getting an edge rush guy that is legitimately productive um, in terms of, you know, pass rush production. Perfect. And then I do want to look at another position that is of need. For example, mm-hmm. Cody Barton, he has just re- not re-signed. He signed with the Washington Commanders. And right. although he had his struggles, I was waving the flag of he's getting better week in and week out. Obviously, when he started, it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. But he learned week in and week out and got better as the season progressed. And obviously, he probably wants to get paid and wants to be a starter. I'm not sure that him coming back to Seattle, potentially being a backup to a veteran is something that he right. want, wanted to do. With that being said, as a whole, when you look at this linebacker class, how 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 strong is it? Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it medium? Where do you what is your thoughts on this class? Um, for me, it's hard to say. Like I was in love with last year's linebackers class, and I think a lot of those guys ended up having a lot of growing pains. You know, Chad Muma struggled, who was a guy that I was in on. Um, Devin Lloyd had his struggles. That was another guy that I was kind of intrigued by. Even Quay Walker, who was a decent starter. Um, had his issues, you know, working in Green Bay. So to me, I would say that this class is not as good as last year's if you're just looking at raw talent, feel for the game, versatility. Um, I will say that there are two guys that have legitimate star potential um, at the position, and I think that's Trenton Simpson and Drew Sanders. Those are two guys that you can sell me on pretty easily. Trenton Simpson is very obvious, right? You know, he's sub four or five guy. He's got legitimate track speed. Um, they use them very similarly at Clemson that they did with Isaiah Simmons, you know, taking however Isaiah Simmons panned out in the NFL as its own ball of yarn because they, they were playing him kind of out of position and they're trying to sort out what his fit is now. I think that Trenton Simpson is a little bit more of a natural linebacker than Simmons was. He was more of a safety type that they were playing near the box. I mean, I think that's reflected in his play, right? You see guys that you see a guy that's really explosive, that's fast, gets to the ball well, and that can play out in space and zone coverage. So I, I would not be surprised to see him being, you know, high on Seattle's board. And then with Drew Sanders, if you need a guy that is a legitimate downhill thumper type, you know, if you're getting downhill run, you got somebody who can take on a guard, take on a tackle and go out and make a tackle, you know, and be explosive in doing so. I think that's what Sanders strong suit is. So there are two different types of guys. So I think it all kind of depends on where you want to leave your priorities in building the roster, right? A team like Cleveland, the last couple of years, they want coverage guys. Houston, they want a coverage guys at linebacker. If if the issue is stopping the run on the interior, I would not be surprised again to see a, that Drew Sanders is somebody that they really have circled that you can maybe get late in the first round or early in the second. Well, my next question was going to be, is he someone that's worth that first round pick? And you're hinting at he definitely is someone that could be that first round pick for the Seahawks if they wanted to get him maybe, let's say, at 20 if he's available still, right? I would say 20, you know, how things kind of shake out, obviously, you know, I, I'm not sure you guys know better than me, the legitimacy of what they're doing with in terms of shopping the number five pick or number 20. Um, but I think if, if you can get a guy like Simpson or Sanders in that 20 to 25 range, that's great. I think the optimal range for them is maybe 30 to 35. But at the end of the day, the one thing with this draft that I, I am starting to notice or feel more strongly about as the weeks go on is that one to 20 to 25 or so I feel really good about. And then I think that there's kind of a significant drop off. So if you can get a guy that slides between Sanders and Simpson, if other teams are not in love with linebackers and you can catch him by trading down, then it's great. 
if you get him at 20, though, it's not a loss. And I don't think that that's necessarily it. an overdraft based on the talent. It's more, it has more to do with how I feel about the value of the position um, in today's NFL. Okay. I do want to – actually, I'll ask you that later. But you did mention Trenton Simpson out of Clemson. He is mm-hmm. undersized, I guess, for the linebacker spot as someone that's only 235 pounds. He's not the biggest guy, but right. he can move sideline to sideline. He has that 4-3 four, four, speed. What – would he fit Seattle's scheme, or do you think maybe a different scheme is where he would fit best and it's not in Seattle? I would say he can fit if we're looking, you know, if we're talking about it in the abstract, particular to Seattle's issues, which is kind of being able to handle things in the box. I would say the better fit of the two would be Drew Sanders, okay. um, especially because, you know, Jordan Brooks, you know, he he plays up and down. That's kind of been the, the book on him basically his entire career as a starter. You know, he's, he runs kind of hot and cold. But I think that he's versatile enough and moves well enough to where that can be the guy that you can flex out. You know, if you get those spread sets and you need a guy to walk out of the box so you can play your too high stuff, I think you could do that more readily with the Brooks if you have a guy like Sanders um, playing beside him. Um, I, I think if you had Simpson and, and Brooks together, now you're looking at – issues of well who is going to be our take on guards player you know who is going to be that explosive guy in terms of taking on blocks and making tackles um inside the box when teams play heavy because you do got to deal with the fact that san francisco is on your schedule twice a year you're going to have to deal with the fact that philadelphia is who they are in the nfc even green bay is a pretty physical um you know run first type of team and they have aaron Rodgers right there and they've been pretty good with running the ball over the last few years under the floor so i think that for them Knowing what's on your schedule and what issues they have in general with the roster, I would not be surprised if that's the tiebreaker between Sanders and Simpson. But I think you can make it work with either, depending on what the priorities are. I would just say if I had John Snyder's ear, I would say the Sanders is probably the guy that um, gets their their issues solved in terms of fitting the run um, solved much quicker than, than it would be with Simpson. You know, as I embrace my nerdiness in football and learn more about linebackers. One thing that has been standing out is the difference you mentioned with there's some guys who like when, when they're taking on blocks, they can get out the way and make the mm-hmm. tackle. And some guys like you take on guys is that if you're, if you're, if you're one of the other in college, can you, can you learn to be the other, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're a take on guy in your college scheme, can you, can you learn mm-hmm. the other one in, in the pros you think, or just, are I you think just you can. Are? I think you can. I do think that there is a level of kind of planet theory that's involved in terms of like your height and weight that has a lot to do with it. You know, there's just certain guys you can be as physical as you want to be. Um, I'm blanking on the names, a linebacker that played for the Titans for a bit that played uh, maybe Rashawn Evans, I think is his name. Right. And I think he was like a sub 240 pound linebacker. Right. And he played as recklessly as he possibly could. One of the most physical guys that I watched through college and in the pros, but he's always, he's always dinged up. Right. And why is that? Because you can only go, you can only fly as 230 pounds into 315, 330 pounds so many times. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that protecting yourself, if you're a 255 pound guy like Drew Sanders is, those hits don't feel exactly the same, you know? And, and I think that sometimes it can be difficult as a consumer. Cause I know when I was younger, I had a really hard time kind of embracing the idea that 15 to 18 pounds really makes that big of a difference. But when we're talking about taking that kind of impact snap over snap over snap, it, it really does make a difference in the way the guys are built and how they play, I think has a big influence on it as well. So you can learn it. I think that your ceiling with it is ultimately determined by, 
how much explosiveness you can get out of your height and weight. And with Sanders, I mean, it's very evident, right? I, I don't, I don't love the scheme that he played in, but I will say that for all the space that they made those linebackers playing in that kind of three high, three, three, five, um, kind of stack defense, he was able to play downhill and make a bunch of plays at or near the line of scrimmage um, because of how downhill he is. And I think that that physical nature, it's easier to build on that than to take a guy who's a little bit more adept at slipping blocks and try to get him to be a take on with your hands, explode through your hips type of player. Um, and Simpson is probably just not going to be best used as that in the NFL. What's interesting about Drew in that it uh, looks like his he was 235 at the combine. Am I tripping? Did he just maybe he cut? Yeah, he must have cut. Wait, I thought he might have yeah. been. Actually, I think you're right. As a matter of fact, I think that Noah Sewell might have been the only guy that was like 250 plus in this yeah. uh, in this draft class. So that might just be a reflection of where the league is at, right? Like I, I yeah. think that that's a reflection of where the league is at. Um, I, I think that with Sanders too. The other thing, you know, and and some of this has influence. Sometimes it doesn't. It all kind of depends on how much weight you want to put on it. There is a, I think there's an element of watching Sanders game where you can look and see like, oh, I can tell that you used to be an edge rusher before you got transitioned to linebacker based on the physical nature that he plays with at or near the line of scrimmage. So I think that that's a factor as well where you watch Simpson and it's like, okay, 20 pounds ago, you were probably a great safety. You know, <laughs> 20 pounds ago, you were probably a great nickel. You know, I think that those are kind of the differences in play style. Um, and I think that with, um, with a guy like Sanders, I think that he's athletic enough to be able to kind of make up whatever differences you might have in looking at Simpson's 40 time um, and trying to judge that against what uh, you think Sanders' athletic potential may be. But I love the physicality that he plays with or that he played with at Arkansas. All right. We're getting some a little bit of bias here because Mike and I are graduates of WSU Go Cougs, and they got a stud out there in Dayon yep. Henley who plays linebacker. And he's also we talked about small guys in Trenton Simpson. This is also a guy that – He's not big, but boy, does he, is he reckless and he leaves it all on the field. Could he step in and be a starting will from the jump if the Seahawks were to say, you know what, we're going to take a risk on this young guy. We like the way he plays. Could he definitely come in and be a starter despite the size element? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. An era ago, I would believe it. If Ken Norton Jr. was still the defensive coordinator, I think that that would probably be the kind of guy that Pete Carroll would be, you know, that that defensive brain trust would be in love with. Sub 230, it's it's a it's a large obstacle to get over for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the way that they like to play defense with those light boxes, like there's going to be, there are going to be snaps with Himley, no matter where he's at, where he's going to be taking on a tackle on outside zone. And that's going to be a really good dude. You know, you got to really got to think about the fact that, um, you know, some of the better tackles in the NFL are, you know, you, you are going to have to see on the schedule, um, if not in the division, just around the NFC in general. And, you know, that kind of downhill element of the game is going to be an issue for Henley or a question that he's going to have to answer for sure. But when you watch the tape, there's plenty to like, you know, that explosiveness that you talk about, it's evident in how he moves. You know, he is one of those click and go type of players. When the ball is in the air, he is going to get there as soon as it's caught. You know, if the ball gets out on the perimeter, he ranges well. Um, I love that reckless, you know, that kind of reckless nature that you talked about. Um, He's a pretty good tackler for his size, which is, I think, a a really nice feather to have in the cap for a guy that's coming in at sub 230. And he at that weight, he's a legitimate four or five guy. And that's a major piece, right? Sometimes you get guys who are on the lighter end and then they run four sixes or they run, you know, they run like a high four six. It's like, all right, well, it's hard to get over you being smaller and not explosively fast. I don't think that those issues exist for Henley. There's a world in which it, it it can work for him in the NFL. I think that that's probably more for four down defense to figure out though. I don't know if that's going to fit what they're trying to do with Clint hurt here um, in Seattle. Oh man, that, that burns, man. I want to see. Okay. Okay. Nah, it's all, I want it to fit though too. The last thing you have him come here and it doesn't work, and then you know, exactly, you, know, exactly. You, want, you want it to work. Yeah, two twenty five. That's bit. You know, you know what's put to, put in perspective the difference in the bodies is you know because when I got here they still had KJ and Bobby. KJ, I was gonna say yeah, KJ and Bobby. He fits in that mold. You <laughs> Those know? guys are just so big, like KJ right. tall too, as well as big. Whereas Bobby has right. like six foot, which is or maybe something around there. He's not like a tall guy whereas kj right KJ's both and then bobby is still built like a tank i'm saying bobby is a thick dude you know yeah like, yeah you put him next to like bobby is really good at like screaming and flexing his muscles after he gets a big play so like, <laughs> google image bobby all of the pictures are him looking buff as shit yeah so like but then you see some of these other guys who are still buff but like the, the difference you just like different. you said you think the 15, 18 initially like that muscle difference was or that weight difference was like a difference like legit it's like nah that's it really, when you watch these guys all come out the shower, you're like, oh, that's an old school linebacker. Exactly. And this is today's linebacker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> see, the, they're all hanging out together. Lockers are right. next to each other. It's like, okay, that's 245. That's 228. I yeah. can see it. You can yeah. see it. it. It's legitimate. And that when you talk about um, longevity, you know, being able to get through your entire contract, you know, relatively healthy, those are real questions that you got to ask. Like, with Henley, the selling piece with him is that he has legitimate speed and he's got a good wingspan, right? He's got enough length and that adds to the range that he plays with, right? So that's the sales pitch. I just don't think that range and length in terms of the linebacker position are the problem. You know, I, I don't think that that's the problem that needs to be addressed here. Um, you know, you need to, like I said, it, it's planet theory stuff um, that I think that you kind of got to approach building out this three, four defense with, and that's why usually, and you saw it around the league this last year, as more of the Vic Fangio guys kind of space themselves out across the league. If you don't have those bigger, faster, stronger types, and you want to play all this zone coverage, you know, and play more light boxes, it's really, really difficult to stop an NFL offense, snap in and snap out that way, unless you have legitimate pass rush. 
you know, if there were legitimate edge rushers here, you had two Khalil Max playing for Seattle, then you can do whatever you want with the linebackers because the chances are the ball is only going to get there so often to really be able to threaten these guys. When you don't have those body types up front, it puts that much more strain on your second level defenders. I don't know if Henley is a fit for what they need to do um, in the upcoming years. Obviously, when they draft a guy, you want him to fit. And right. I remember when the Seahawks took Shaquem Griffin, he was also someone that's undersized as linebacker. He played at Central Florida, but in the NFL, weighing 230, it's tough. It, it's tough. And they ended up actually putting him as a pass rusher, and he he did okay, but it, okay. it wasn't enough, and the Seahawks weren't able to keep him. Of course, we all know the story in that regard. But is that something similar where Deion could get drafted by a team and they don't see him as that – starting linebacker but maybe they figure hey maybe we can put you in the pass rush you can use your speed and quickness and maybe you can explode that way is that a possibility you think it is a possibility i would say like griffin is probably is a really good um corollary corollary to draw because didn't he run like a four four or four three or something a four like three that? eight four, like three, so eight. we're talking like elite 95th 98th percentile speed at the position and he had to be moved right that yep. that won't exist for Henley. It's not to say that he's slow, but you're yep. not in that 95th plus percentile of speed at the position. And the guy, the last guy that was here that was like that had to be moved, um, you know, to be uh, to have a better role within the defense. I think that something like that could exist if you tried to draft a guy in a three, four, that's kind of that size is that you would Got end it. up probably using him more as a blitzer. Like I think about uh, Patrick Queen. You know, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the most explosive guy. And you think about some of the struggles that he had early in his career, and then you get Roquan Smith, and all of a sudden Patrick Queen looks much better. Well, how are they using him? More as a blitzer. He gets to be more kind of like the rangy guy, and you use Roquan Smith to do more of the physical stuff because that's something that he excels at in spite of being a smaller guy. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that I'm looking at, um, you know, with, with evaluating linebackers, especially when it talks when we talk about – fitting the 3-4 defense that I think NFL NFL teams are trying to run. All right, let's get into it. I am I want to hear your thoughts on this because the ongoing situation regarding Georgia's defensive tackle Jalen Carter who has been charged with racing and reckless driving stemming from that fatal crash involving a teammate and recruiting staffer early in January. The biggest question is Mike and I have had a discussion, Deontay, would you take him number 5 overall if you were in running the Seahawks, if you repeat Carroll in this scenario, he's on your board. Would you take him at number five? I got asked something similar by um, my guys that uh, work in Las Vegas radio uh, for Sirius, uh, Demon Carter. And, and um, I'll, I'll say the same thing here that I said there, and I hate saying it because it sounds so crass, but, you know, there is kind of a facing of reality that happens here, which is that like, if this doesn't rise to the level of a felony, and at this point we don't have any indication to believe that it's going to rise to the level of a felony, that's a top five pick. <laughs> it just is. It just is. I don't feel good about it. I'm not proud to say it. I, I do think that um, there is kind of some looking in the mirror that I think uh, in the NFL, you know, as part of NFL largesse, you know, working in the media that I kind of have to deal with when I get asked questions like that. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, dude, this dude is what, 6'5", 320, 330 pounds, and probably would have run like a 4'7", 4'6", in the 40, you know? This is a legitimate, rare, rare body type that we're talking about, rare in terms of production, somebody that fits exactly what the problems would be um, to fix the problems that, that existed in Seattle over the last year in terms of having legitimate, rare body types on the defensive interior. 
I don't think you can pass on that. I think that that's one of those things where as long as this doesn't get any worse and if this run on quarterbacks happens the way that it looks like it might, you know, if there is a lot of jostling and um, Arizona is able to trade out a three and another team comes up to pick a QB, if this guy is available at five, I would have a hard time justifying not taking him. Um, you're not going to get a guy, I think, after him outside of Will Anderson that is going to be as productive in the NFL that I'd expect Jalen Carter to be. Uh, the the okay. NFL has a t- has a few things every once in a while that just tests our tests our morality a little yes. bit. Jamar Hamlin was probably the, the biggest, uh, like most recent one, other than Jalen. It's like if you at any point, and it's okay if you thought this because we all did at some point. If you ever thought at all we're watching this guy, like, huh? So are they going to keep playing? Like if you think about it, that's mm-hmm. fucked up. But it is. It's a reality, though. This is the way that this business works. Like. Yeah. It nope. sucks to say, bro, but they don't get to be however many billions of dollars up by concerning themselves with the feelings of the public on, on yeah. issues of morality all the time. These right. are cold money making types and Jalen Carter puts butts in seats and wins football games. It just is what it is, you know, yeah. uh, we, we're not tuning. In. It's really bad. Like you said, it sounds bad. Like we didn't we don't tune into the game to make sure everyone gets out. OK, we tune in to be entertained and That's win our bets and win our fantasy football leagues and, you know, get paid as the media covering it. It's 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 unfortunate. But it's it's OK. Car- yeah. Carter Carter produces in all those ways. So, you know, and and like I said, you know, and I do want to be realistic that like at the end of the day, if it is found that his involvement in this is no larger than him participating in the race, um, you know, and driving recklessly of residential roads or or down like, you know, these kind of parkways or or, or highways um, when he was in Athens, then I don't. I don't know if I were in this position, if I were in John Snyder's or any of these GM's positions that I would wipe them off my board either, you know, taking it off of putting the onus on me and taking it off of the way that I expect the NFL to act. I would probably behave in a similar fashion, you know, and again, it doesn't feel great to say, but this is a rare opportunity to get, you know, maybe a once in a generation player at his position. You know, I, I don't know if you can miss out on that, especially if it's clear, if it becomes clear in the reporting um, you know, and obviously the Atlanta Journal Constitution is on it. If it becomes clear in the, in the reporting that Carter's involvement was that he was just doing some stupid shit in terms of racing, you know, late night, but he wasn't inebriated. If he returned to the scene, you know, if he's able to sort out not being honest with the police after the fact and these NFL teams feel comfortable with it. Top five at worst. At worst, he doesn't make it past Vegas at seven, mm. you know. That, that's go- he is going to be a top five to top eight pick no matter what as long as this doesn't rise to the level of a felony and we don't get any more bombshell news about it between now and late april let's say the seahawks do become moral police and they say you can't take a guy like that are there other guys such as maybe brian Brissy from clemson or siaki ika from baylor who are some other guys that you're saying you know what they passed on them but this can definitely help this defense Brissy will be a guy at 20 if he's available that I think will make sense for them. Um, you know, that's a guy I've kind of been laser focused on in this kind of pre-draft process. Um, you know, obviously the number one overall recruit coming out of Damascus, Maryland, um, you know, went to Clemson while they're in the midst of competing for national titles year over year. So he's obviously a high profile signing for them. There was a lot of expectations. He was really productive as a freshman, you know, and, and I think that at that point in time, I think that uh, the reputation of a Clemson defensive lineman was still about as high as it could be you know, at at that point in time. And then it never really materialized into him being that, 
you know, first team AP All-American player that I think people would have liked for it to have been. Obviously, 2022 season, you have the family tragedy, you know, with the sister um, that that obviously I think took some time away from him from football. And if his mind was not 100 percent on getting off the ball and striking blocks and making plays in the backfield, I would not begrudge him for that or at all you know i think it was pretty clear in the reporting how close of a relationship he had with his sibling um you know you want to be sensitive and empathetic to that and then the year before he's nicked up you know has has a few injuries isn't really able to access that kind of explosive potential that we saw when he was a freshman so i kind of had a lot of questions and then he comes out um at the combine way you know weighs out at 298 pounds six five and then runs a sub five second 40 i think he runs like in the low four eights and that to me was like, OK, so the athleticism is legitimately there so I can check that off and I can kind of couch. I can legitimately couch some of the issues that I might have had with his tape throughout his college career in what he was dealing with in terms of being nicked and bruised up, you know, his sophomore year and then dealing with the family tragedy this past season. And then you watch him move through position drills and you can see that smoothness, the ability to kind of change his pad level, to be able to sink his hips and still be able to move in and out. Stuff like that was really um, it was really encouraging for me watching watching a guy like Brissy. So that's somebody at 20. If he's available, I would be happy if Seattle grabbed him. If I'm looking as an outside observer, that would make a lot of sense for me. Um Ika, I think that that's probably, first of all, as a nose tackle, if you're not a Jordan Davis type, you're you're not a top 30 guy. To me, at that position, you got to be a really, really rare guy to get um, to be that valuable um, in the NFL draft. I, I think that if he's there in terms of, you know, late second, early third, if he makes it that deep, that's a perfect time, I think, to grab a guy like that because he can step in and be a starter and be an immediate, an immediately productive player, not going to be probably to the level of a Vita Vea. You know, I don't know if he's that kind of swift of feet, but he moves okay for a guy that's 330 pounds. So I think that there's hope there that he can continue to be productive. Um, so those would probably be the two guys in terms of defensive interior that I would really be circling for them. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of familiarity with Mozzie Smith, but from everything I heard from Bruce Feldman's freaks list to, you know, the way that people expect him to test at his pro day, that's going to be another 330 plus pound guy that's supposed to have these great jumps and be really explosive in his 10 yard split. That's somebody else. I think that will fit what they're trying to do, um, with this three, four defense. So those would probably be the three guys, um, outside of Carter that I would be most interested to see, uh, you know, how Seattle feels about them as we get closer to the draft. You did earlier in the show, you mentioned the Seahawks need to get that edge rush. They need some guys that can get off the edge and make plays. And the Seahawks made a move yesterday, or actually, yeah, it was yesterday, right, Mike? Monday. Monday. Yes. And that was Draymond Jones, played mm -hmm. for the Broncos, defensive tackle. But they still need had holes, obviously, with Shelby Harris being cut. Potentially, right. they could maybe – re-sign him at a lower deal. Who knows? That's still up in question. And then Quentin Jefferson, Puna still restricted free agent, and LJ Paul, unrestricted free agent, excuse me, and LJ's also. But the Seahawks were able to land Jay Reed. He's returning to the Seahawks. Who had it first, Mike? Uh, well, no, I know our guy Jeff has it at the Athletics. So okay. Yeah. We'll so go with Jeff. Jay Reed back. Breaking some news on the pod here. There you go. <laughs> Not live, Jay so it doesn't matter, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Reed is back, so that definitely gets the – I think the defensive tackle position off to a solid start, but right. a concern you mentioned earlier is still the edge. So let's look in the draft. Who are some guys that you're like, okay, you know what? This is maybe second round, third round, because assuming that the Seahawks take 
Jalen Carr, number five. Maybe at number 20, they go with Ika. All right, cool. So now we have edge rushers. Who are some guys that you think will still will, will be available that can help bolster this D-line and get it back to where it needs to be to make a successful run in the Super Bowl? So to me, I'm fascinated by Nolan Smith and how the NFL feels about him. Um, you know, sub 240 pounds, but he ran a 4-3. So, you know, you kind of got to sort out how you feel about it. You watch the tape. I don't know if anybody on the edge is as physical as a run defender as he is, and he's probably the smallest of the group. So that's there, and that's, I think, something that you can be legitimately intrigued by. So I think that if he's there in, you know, kind of day two range, that's somebody that would fit, that you can bring in. And you know, if nothing else, he's going to have a high motor. You know, he's somebody who is who can win with speed um, and somebody that can actually provide value as a run defender on the edge, even as an undersized guy. So that's number one that I would be kind of into for them. Um, so two other guys that I've really kind of been um, getting higher on as as this process continues to move forward. One would be um, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. I think that when you talk about a guy that just kind of checks off all the boxes, maybe doesn't have an elite trait, one elite trait, but can do a bunch of things. That's somebody in the day two range that might be intriguing that you can use maybe to drop into coverage. He can be a good pass rusher. You know, I think that his ceiling is probably best served as like a, a secondary rusher, you know, but Maybe he's not that top tier guy, but you don't draft top tier rushers in day two of the draft anyways, right? You try to bring guys who provide depth and can do a bunch of different things for you. And in a similar vein, I think Byron Young is a guy that might be a round three, round four guy. You know, he came out, ran a sub uh, sub four, four forty, if I remember right, or sub five, sub four, five forty at 250 pounds. You turn on the tape, he's like a tenacious run defender. And they didn't even really use him at Tennessee in a way that allowed him to kind of pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. And you still see a little bit of that production for him. He's a bit older. You know, I want to say he was a 60 year senior. And I think he's dealt with some um, I think he's dealt with some injury concerns as well throughout his career. And I think he was a junior college transfer, too. So, you know, there is, you know, some questions to answer, which is why I would say he's probably a round three, round four guy. But if you can get a guy like that, that adds some depth and some more versatility for you on the edge. Um, And I think that that's going to be just as important for them as getting top line talent. Um, because there's really not much of that outside of, you know, the obvious names in terms of Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, and Miles Murphy, um, and maybe Lucas Van Ness, depending on how you feel about him in this class. Perfect. Okay. One thing that interests, interests me about the class, and this is me putting my nerd goggles on, again, is it does seem there, there's like a, almost like a divide. There's like the uh, the outside linebacker, natural guys who are smaller, guys like right. Will, I think he was like 230-something, PJ, how you say, Ojolari? Ojolari, yep. yep. From uh, LSU, Will McDonald, um, yeah, Nolan Smith, like you mentioned, small guy. But then there's like the, the other side, like Tyree Wilson, I think it was with, like 280. 280, yeah. 275 for Lucas Van Ness. I think yeah. Miles Murphy is in like 270 pounds. Yeah, I think the the kid, what's the kid from USC, Thule? Uh, Thule Pelotu. I yeah. think he is 265, 266, so another yeah. bigger edge type. Yeah, is there does one is there one flavor that that fits what Seattle needs more than the other? A Nolan Smith faster maybe guy like Will Anderson or a, a guy like the Iowa mm. kid Lucas or Tyree Wilson maybe a bigger guy? Is there a flavor that fits that? Um, conventional conventional thought is that the two hundred and seventy plus guys that's like your very old school four three. Like when you think about, I, I always kind of go back to 
early 2000s Tampa Bay, right? That Tampa two style of defense. Um, and I think that this is reflected in what uh, some of what San Francisco likes as well. They just happen to find guys that are good enough um, to be able to play as four, three edges while not being 270 plus pounds. But I think the thought process is still there. Those are usually four, three ends. Cause you think, you know, he's going to be taking on tight ends. You know, he's got to be a run defender. You're not dropping him in coverage. So you want him to be a little bit more of a thicker body type. Three, four, those are usually your 250, 240 pound guys because they might be dropping out in the coverage. You know, you might have them doing some different things. Um, you know, if you're a bare front team, um, which obviously Seattle has been, you know, familiar with at different points in that Legion of Boom era, you can use smaller guys, um, you know, and kind of use a bunch of twists and, and slants and stunts and things like that to be able to get those guys free or give them angles on players or, or offensive linemen and tight ends that would be bigger than them. So to me, if, if you're trying to sell, if you wanted a sales pitch um, for a guy who might be not as high profile, but could be productive, I think BJ Ojolari would be another name that I hadn't mentioned yet that there will be some interest in. Um, he's one of the younger guys in this draft. I don't think that he's turning 21 until next month or later. So, Ooh. you know, in, in an era where you got all these COVID hardships and guys are coming in 24, 25 years old, you know, I, I think to get a guy that's 20 years old, has got extremely long arms, um, you know, plays pretty athletically, is a pretty good run defender, has a good motor. You know, he wore that number 18 in LSU, so I'll let you know that he's got some leadership qualities to him. If you know something about the history of that number for uh, for people who play up front for the Tigers, that to me, I think kind of speaks well to what his potential can be. Um, so that's another guy I think that you might be able to grab day two. Um, and maybe he's not there right right now, but off his age and his athletic profile, you can certainly paint a picture of a guy that can turn out to be a really, really productive edge rusher um, going forward if he hits his ceiling. Yeah, and that and that divide has become not I don't want to call it divide, but that just kind of category the different categories though the body types fit in has become more interesting to me as I talk. I've covered Carlos Carlos Dunlap's last year here in 2021. Right where Carlos essentially was like, yo, the Bengals uh, switched, they switched schemes. Uh, and then he was like, I right, get me out of here, gets to the Seahawks. And they're like, Hey, Carlos, we, we need you to drop sometimes. It's like, well, hold on. Right. I've been, I've been in the league this long kicking ass. Cause I can, I can go forward, not backwards. Right. And I mean, um, and, and Dunlap then, is like a power forward. Like he's like six, yeah, eight. Six, eight two yeah. He reminds you know. me of Harry Wilson a little bit. Just how yes, very much so. And long and long those guys are. So I've been kind of interested in like how some of these guys fit with that because they're going to have to drop. You know, like they're just right. gonna have to do it. It just frustrated Seahawks fans to see to them to play the Rams and to see Carlos Dunlap being the nearest defender to Robert Woods. I'm just right. like okay. It shouldn't be that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in your head you look at that and it's like there's just something wrong with that picture. It, Chris, what game was it? It was it was it the Steelers. Yeah, they had Benson Mayoa in the flat. Yeah, guarding Najee Harris. Najee Harris in the. It was. I, yeah. I tweeted. I said, I'm sure this is that. not what they draw up. <laughs> there's when you no way when you, you draw up your NFL defense. I don't think that you put those diagrams together with the thought process that bodies like that would be guarding running backs and tight ends out in and space. That's, and at the time, I think Benson was either tied or he was leading the Seahawks in sacks. So seeing him in coverage, right. I'm thinking, why are you? putting him back there that is not something he is really good at is he good at it he might be okay but you should have won a football game here let that man rush the passer 
Exactly. Exactly. It's not even if he's good or bad. It's like that's not why he's been the league. Not the best use, right? (laughs) It's about best use. Yeah. You're not, you know, you're not paying an edge rusher to drop in coverage unless that's like a legitimate feature of his game, or you would like to avoid that whenever you can. So, you know, that that to me, I think is a legit and that's where, you know, coming back to what you were saying, Mike, that is why I think you see such a stark divide in the body types of what you consider an edge rusher. Right. Because of that, you don't want a Lucas Van Ness dropping into the flat. You know, you want a guy like that to be powerful, to use his 270 pounds to go crush a pocket. Same with Miles Murphy. You know, is he athletic enough ultimately to drop to drop into coverage? Maybe. But is it the best use of the player? Probably not. And I think if we were to see Seattle draft a player like that to be a full time edge rusher, that to me would signal that even within this three, four philosophy, they might be a little bit more amenable to running more four down structures, right? It might be that two, four, five type of personnel where you still got your two inside backers and your two outside backers, um, but you don't have a nose tackle covering up the center, right? You see that a bunch anyways. That's usually how these teams play their nickel packages. So maybe they, you know, if you saw something like that, that might signal that, hey, they might want to be one of those teams that plays nickel to everything. Right. right. You want to play with, with more speed on the field on the back end and play with bigger bodies up front. Yeah. And the Seahawks did try some of that. Not a, some of that. I did that a, quite a bit last year. I think that was where they were getting pounded a little bit. Right. Uh, on the run with that, like you mentioned, those lighter boxes. And then you had team. What's been interesting. I'm curious what you think about this. This is something I haven't planned on asking you. But like it does seem like that if more teams are going to go light box, we're going to slowly see like the reemergence of the fullback. 100 uh, percent. Uh, I think of that Ra- that Raiders game where the Seahawks gave a bazillion yards to Josh Jacobs, like quite literally right. the best Josh Jacobs' life. I, what's their full What's their fullback's name out there? Oh, this is gonna oh, be Is it I can Jakob see his face? Yes, yeah, Jakob. He's he's German, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Jakob Johnson. Let's go with that. Let's go. With that, that is him. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, like if I was if I was Josh McDaniels too, like oh, you guys going with these light boxes, huh? With these little 240 pound linebackers. That's cute. Here's my guy named Jakob. Put him right here next to Josh Jacobs and run it down your throat. I mean, you don't have to look outside the division to see that, right? Like, that's why this Shanahan offense is able to live in the way that it does in a modern (laughs) NFL, you know, because he can legitimately say, hey, you want to play with light bodies? That makes sense. We've got a George Kittle who is one of the fastest, maybe not the fastest player at his position, but is a legitimate tight end. We have, you know, Kyle Juszczyk who might be undersized by typical fullback standards, but can legitimately block like a fullback. You know, and we can get these two tight end sets. We can get into these two back two tight end sets where you still have to legitimately be worried about where the ball is going. And we can always just get into mash your face in, mash your face in mode, you know, and you're going to have to have an answer for that. Um, and I, I think that that's a real kind of identity issue that we're going to see a lot of these NFL teams dealing with um, in the coming years is just how much commitment you can have to playing fast when offensive guys can still get athletes that are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 250, 60 pounds that can play tight end. You still got to deal with your Evan Neals as an offensive tackle, not even the best guy in the league, but is legitimately 6'6", 6'7", and 320, 325 pounds that can really move bodies, right? Like those are the things that you got to kind of contend with. Um, And I think that that's why you're going to see so much of a cyclical nature in the league, because as teams try to try to prioritize and emphasize speed on defense, the natural response for offenses is to condense, get bigger bodies and really try to move the ball back downhill instead of in the air. 
Yeah, it goes back to to quote uh, a great uh, East Oakland orator named Marshawn Terrell Lynch. <laughs> yes, sir. No, no one wants to deal with that shit over <laughs> and over and over and over again. Yes. There are 17 regular season games. If your team is fortunate enough to make the divisional round, you probably are playing game 19 um, or, or it's game 18, one of the two if you have to buy. Man, that is tough. Yeah. You know, Ask that 235-pound linebacker to keep taking on pulling guards for, for the fourth. In the cold. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Your most important games are in the cold, man. After you played, you know, hundreds of snaps, if not a thousand snaps in the season, man. It's tough. It's a lot yeah. to ask. Yeah, so that's I'm very fascinated by that. Too. We're talking I'm talking a lot about body types, which is important, though, as I, as I mentioned, given the context of the team. Body types are going to – it's been interesting to see. Like, if the linebackers get smaller, all right, we're getting these big-ass fullbacks and guards – we, we go back to linebacker starting to look like Bobby and KJ exactly. uh, again, or like uh, how, how big is Jack Campbell at Iowa? Like two fifty? I think he's two fifty. He's one of the few guys that crossed that two hundred and fifty pound threshold at the position. Yeah. So we, do we see more guys like that? And like you said, it's all cyclical. It's all exactly. It all there's a there's a I remember Sean Desai was now the defensive coordinator at the Eagles. Worked with the Seahawks last year. Something he mentioned to me last year when I was talking to him about the Legion of Boom and the impact they had across the league. He was like. He's like, look, defense is about just finding the answers. Whatever yep. they do, just have an answer for it. Yep. And ideally, you have an answer before they beat you with it. But even then, just find an answer. Find right? an answer. What it is, find the answer, and you'll you'll be all right. I can see why he's a smart dude too. I can see why yeah. they call him they call him Doc. Um, right. He's a no. He's a, he's a he's a smart dude. Sounds like well, a nerd, with, but yeah. No, I mean, I mean, within that, you know, to to kind of go off of what you're saying is. You find the answers for certain things with the knowledge that you can't cover everything. You can't stop everything with one call, which is why having bigger, faster, stronger bodies in positions where you might be vulnerable becomes that much more important. Those are your those are your get out of jail free cards. You know right. that that's what allows you to be able to play light boxes is because you have confidence in your front pieces to be able to handle playing a guy short in the box and still be able to fit the run, you know, and still be able to affect the pocket without blitzing and things like that. That's what it comes down to, man. Like the, the game is, the game is complex, but the philosophy of it is relatively simple. You know, how you solve problems is usually a simpler proposition. I think that people assume it's just the tactics behind it. I think kind of that's where you get those cascading effects of, all right, well, if we're doing this, that means we have to have these bodies. And if you have these bodies, that means we need to have these personnel packages. And how do we handle X, Y, and Z? But it all comes down to core philosophies so of taking away what offenses do best and having dominant pieces to be able to handle uh, matchup issues, you know, in places that you can't cover for. Yeah, no, the Legion of Boom was such a great example of that. You need an answer up front? Michael Bennett. He can Got do it. everything, you know? Oh, you need an answer to, to uh, in the back end? Cam Chancellor. There exactly. you go. Yeah, exactly. Cam can do anything, you know? <laughs> can run, play the pass, you know? Uh, the tight ends were giving him an issue there for a little bit, but just in general, it was just, yeah. He, number 31, the big dude with the visor on. That's <laughs> our answer to whatever these guys are. They want to put a fullback out there. They want to do whatever. They want to spread it out, you know? Right. We... We got an answer. So, yeah, this, I, I appreciate this insight, man. This The Seahawks yeah, get so much help. No problem, man. That we, it's so much. Like, Pete Carroll, you can tell, he gets frustrated with some of our questions because they're so surface level and they're missing the point because we don't have an understanding of what they're trying to do. So we ask things like, do you need to go back to 4-3? And then right. Pete's like, well, no, that's not really the issue. We just need 
And that's why I eventually was like, we just need to be better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's simple, you know. Yeah. Occam's be, razor, man. Yeah. Be, be better and we'll we'll win more games. It's like, exactly. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, that's, that's, you're right. You're Good right. football you're players right. win games, man. <laughs> that, that's just yeah. what it is. You know, on you need, a, you need an answer. Level. Nick Bosa, you know. Exactly. You need an answer. Aaron Donald is your, is your answer up front at the end of the day. You know, Shane Waldron. The OC of the Seahawks always says, you know, this is a players' league. The league's about players. He says that like yes. every week because yes. he's he's right. He's like, scheme up all you want, you know. Player don't you have the guys. You gotta have the guys. You know, you know, guy don't make the block. Whatever, we go on and on, man. But Chris, you got anything else before we get Deontay out of here? No, I want to thank you for the insight, man. We really appreciate it, especially someone that's played the position. That it always helps out. So thank you again, Deontay, for making me smarter, as Mike would like to say, oh, making me yeah. smarter on oh, the D yeah. line linebackers. And what the Seahawks should look to do come the 2023 draft, which is what? About 40 days away? Yeah. Like I'm not Something doing like that. math on the show. You got to plug uh, Twitter. You got the articles um, coming out. Any so you guys can, I can be followed on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. Um, as far as things that I'm working on, obviously, this is the most busy time of the year for me. Um, we're working on a big draft project that I think, you know, we're going by the time it gets presented, um, think similar to what the athletic did with the World Cup. That's mm. something that, that we're working on, you know, so that's something that we're really, really excited about that we're, you know, kind of in the process of making all these preparations for. So that way, our audience and, and fans alike can, you know, go to the site and get something that's um, informative, but brief enough to where you can move from one player to the next and figure out why it is that your team is interested in them and why these guys are being rumored of being top five, top 10 first round types of picks. Um, so that's something that we've got going on um, to start with. And then for me personally, you know, usually just talking about what the trends of the league are, best defensive players, you know, the usual stuff. So this will be a busy time for me. So people will be hearing from me plenty over the next couple of months. I'm going to plug one more thing before we get you guys out of here. Uh, we didn't talk about him because we kept it mostly front seven, but Deontay has a good piece on Brian Branch, um, the the do-it-all kind of defensive back from Alabama that I, that I like. Yeah, Thank that, you. That piece got me in. I was like, uh-oh. I was clicking on the clips you had in the links, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hold yeah, on. You can ball. Yeah. You can play. <laughs> you can oh, play. Man, there's, 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 some, there's something. Too. I don't think he'll uh, – it seems like Bill Belichick's going to take him. He's going to be like, yeah, I, I doubt he'd be there by 20, but he's a really good football player. Very good. So I need you guys to check this Brian Bench, Deontay Lee, the athletic Google it, boom, it'll pop, pop right up. So Deontay, we appreciate you, man. Uh, thank, thank you all. For the insight. We appreciate you guys for tuning into Seahawks man to man podcast, YouTube, Spotify, the athletic Apple. Uh, appreciate the love and support. Hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already. Um, thank you again, Deontay uh, on that note, guys, we're out. You see, I don't have to drive me if you say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke something. Try the marijuana. I was loving you good. The vibe was straight. Shows you a couple of things and they feel the strength. I told you right. Everything was a gift from a time to your bag and a color on your lip. Yeah, you're Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. 
I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. 